Hey everyone, welcome to Healthy Mind, Happy Life Podcast. I am your host, Caitlin Engler. I believe that we can all move through life transitions without losing who we are, but it takes the right support, community, and connection to carry us through. We can heal through sharing experience, strength, and hope. Each week, we will have genuine and real conversations that will inspire you to shift your mindset to live a happier, free life. So this week, I am speaking with Dr. Menager Turner. She's located in LA, California. She's a mother of a six-year-old daughter. She runs a thriving group practice, and she's also a recovering perfectionist. Throughout her own personal journey, she realized many others were struggling with the same thing, and so she focuses on helping others recover from their perfectionism to live a more wholesome life that doesn't feel filled with so much anxiety and control. So I hope you guys enjoy today's episode. She really touches on some fantastic points that I hope can help you if this is an area that you're struggling with. I know it's an area that I very much struggle with and have really started to notice how it plays out in my own life. And she really gives some helpful tidbits that seem that are simple enough that can give you that hope that things can start getting better and that the change is possible. So I hope you guys enjoy today's episode. A very needed topic to be covered. It really is. It really is. And thank you so much for having me here. And I'm looking forward to talking about it. Like you said, it's something that I think we don't think it is an issue because it seems like so nice to do things perfectly. So I'm really ready to unpack it today. Yeah. So how I like to start with with my interviews and most people always feel like this is a really loaded question and they not they're not always sure how to answer it but i i always like asking it is who are you as a human and what is it that you do i love that question <laughs> i think that is such a welcoming question well i guess my name is aminije and i'm a licensed psychologist here in los angeles and as a human being i'm a mom to almost 6 years old uh, girl she's going to turn 6 next week and I am a sister, a wife, a, a good friend, and recovering perfectionist, I should also add. And that might also help people understand why I focus so much on perfectionism is because I had my own personal experience with it. And it was about a decade ago, I read Dr. Brenna Brown's book, Gifts of Imperfections, and I had my rude awakening of what I was dealing with behind my anxiety and guilt was the sense that nothing I do is good enough and I don't feel belong. And I'm sure we'll talk about this uh, later on about what causes it. And for me, one of the key milestones was that I came to United States when I was 15. Well, technically two weeks before I turned 15. And that always gave my therapist and I a lot to work on. So there's all these things that feed into your perfectionism that you feel like there's always something that makes you an outsider. So again, I kind of was working on my personal journey. And around those years, I graduated. I started seeing clients professionally as a therapist. And I start to see, like you were saying, like about perfectionism being like knocking at the door. 
a lot of people come to therapy, as you may know, seeking therapy for anxiety, depression, eating disorder, ADHD. And what ended up happening is as we were working on these issues people are struggling with, there's always a layer of perfectionism in there. And that's why I really do advocate for people to challenge their perfectionism because it really will get in the way of them uh, working on their mental health needs, whether that's, again, ADHD or eating disorder or trauma. If they don't, you know, if they keep ignoring or minimizing this power of perfectionism in there, I genuinely believe their mental health will always be limited or their mental health recovery, I should say, will always be limited. So that's how perfectionism became such a interest for me, obviously, personally, understanding it and professionally as therapists, seeing it in so many people's lives uh, behind the issues that they were dealing with. There was always a layer of, I need to do this perfectly. I have to be perfect for other people. So I have a personal question for you because you said you moved here when you were, well, 14, almost 15. And I'm curious, is that when you noticed this, the perfectionism rise for you when, or had it always been there prior to coming over here? I think it has. I definitely think it has. Cause so one of the things that I have looked at my life and I encourage everyone to do it is to really start like looking at your life from from a storytelling perspective so really start from the beginning and look at the experiences you had look at the places you lived schools you went to and one of the things that's true about my culture and I know this is universally true speaking of being a human being I know this is true for, for many people where I grew up in a very um a culture that was very strict with gender roles. So you had to be a good student and girls had to be quiet. Girls had to be polite. And, and again, the grades were valued. Authorities were always respected. So there was always this kind of pressure to be a compliant person, pressure to stay in the line and do as I'm told. And it's, again, this understanding that my parents are and always been a kind people but I think there's all these nuances that you grew up with that you really don't understand how they shape you until you get older this expectation to be good be a good listener don't make trouble you know don't upset anybody around you even if it's your parents or even if it's a teacher even if it's meant well so I do believe that there were those pieces definitely in my childhood then when I came to a new country which I did speak English coming here before coming to United States, there's so much sense of like, do I belong here? Because again, you want to fit in. And I always described it. I, I, I started therapy when I was in college and I remember explaining to my therapist, it felt like, imagine there's a race and I know it's a little cliche, but imagine there's a race and the race began, everybody's running and I am just heard the, 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 you know, the bell and I'm just starting the race. That's how it feels starting going to a new country and starting over or starting a new school in your adolescence. It feels like everybody got a head start and you're just always playing catch up because you're not picking up on the popular songs and the cool things kids supposed to do. Like you're just not picking up on those social uh, cues because you just, this is not your culture that you grew up with. So there's this sense of like, you're always behind I think in perfectionism or that feeds perfectionism that if I just do perfectly, I will catch up to the rest of the people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I could, even when you were talking about the way it was growing up, 
I could feel the anxiety, right? Of don't make a mistake. Don't color outside the lines. You just don't do that. Right. And as a child that causes a lot of anxiety and I will let you talk about this in a second, but anxiety manifests into perfectionism or is a, is perfectionism is a symptom of anxiety. I think it's both to be honest with you. The, 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 I think the fairest answer is that it both, I agree with you. I think some people, and here's how I explain to people, like if you, if we treat your perfectionism, do you still struggle with anxiety? So if so, then you might have generalized anxiety, you know, whether disorder or not, but you might have experience in generalized anxiety. And as you said, we may lean into a perfectionism to cope with that anxiety or numb that anxiety. But other times people may not necessarily, obviously we all have anxiety, but may not have any extensive anxiety. They may realize that it's their perfectionistic expectations of themselves that are so debilitating, it creates a sense of anxiety. It's this create the sense of uneasiness. So if we fix the perfectionism mm -hmm. or treat the perfectionism, address the perfectionism, we see that their anxiety comes back to a normal, uh, normal ranges. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it just depends on the individual. And it, mm -hmm. I also, I had asked you if, if your perfectionism stemmed from that move, because I, I find too, that there's life events that can trigger these things for us, right? Whether you're conscious of it or unconscious, it could be one specific large event in your life, or it could be an accumulation of things in your environment or who you were raised by that have led to this point in your life. It really does. And I think the reason that I do encourage people to look at their life uh, and the whole life is because I think they're still like from my childhood, I think there were these, like I mentioned, gender roles that created the expectations I have of myself to be successful, to be a good student, to be compliant, not to be behind. I think there are those um, messages that you grew up with and then any other life event can exacerbate it. And it was obviously from then on, it was many other life events. So often people say, well, that was when you were 15. So maybe, you know, does that mean, you, you know, you're, per, you're over your perfectionism? And I encourage people to really understand it latches on to anything that you value and anything that you do new for the first time. So I became a mom six years ago. And after I gave birth, my perfectionism was right there, uh, evaluating the way I was feeding my daughter, evaluating the way I was sleep training her. And, and I was having this internal dialogue that said, in order to be a good mom, in order to do this well, I have to do it perfectly. I have to, whatever my personal you know, opinion was, I must do those things perfectly. Mm. so it does show up perfectionism is something that will show up anytime you're doing something new and anytime you're doing something that you really value yeah well that goes back to what you one of the first things you said and which was I'm a recovering perfectionism mm -hmm. you didn't say recovered you said recovering yeah. which means yeah. that these things these thoughts behaviors no matter which no matter what area you're focused on, whether it's addiction, perfectionism, anxiety, go on food, whatever it is, it's recovering because it's a process, right? And it can show up time to time, especially when you're not paying attention and it'll sneak up on you. 
It really does. And speaking of addiction, like there's this wonderful statement from AA. And I know some people have gotten so much help from AA and other people don't feel like it's the right fit for them. So it's not promoting one particular support system. But one thing that AA said, and one of the things that I really love from AA um, philosophy is the statement. Maybe you heard it too. There's a saying, your addiction is doing push-ups in the parking lot. Oh, yeah. Right? And it's very true for any other thing that we might be struggling with. And I really like to adopt that to perfectionism and remind people like your perfectionism is doing push-ups in the background because it's waiting for a moment that you feel unlovable, you feel insecure, you feel doubtful, and you or any moment that you fail, which will happen if it hasn't already happened on a weekly basis, I fail at something. And I might fail returning a phone call, which really happened earlier this week. Um, I failed to return a call for days. And that can make me really feel like I am not a good person. I'm not a good friend. And so anytime you fail, your perfectionism is right there. You see, you see, if you just did that perfectly, you wouldn't have felt this. And right. then he does take the pause. He's like, not listening to you, not listening to you. I'm a human being. I'm not going to be perfect. Sometimes it's going to take me days to return calls and that's okay. Yeah. And you know what I used to tell people? I like that saying from AA as well. And I used to tell people your disease might be in the corner doing push-ups, but if you're proactive, you're going to therapy, meetings, reading, praying, whatever your practice is, and you're staying vigilant on those things, then you're also doing push-ups, creating that muscle and that strength too, right? It's when we forget or we get, and it's not a bad thing. I mean, life happens, right? We get distracted, we, and things improve and our life get, gets better, but it is in the background doing push-ups, waiting for to give birth, right? To have a life event happen and then it'll show back up. Um, but I I do want to just start with like a very basic question is can you describe what is perfectionism? Perfectionism obviously is about pursuit of doing things perfectly. And in that pursuit, people tend to have what we call unrealistically high expectations of themselves. And it's very important to understand how unrealistic they are, because often when I work with my clients and we're questioning and challenging, challenging their perfectionism, the initial fear is, well, then I'm just going to be mediocre. Or I'm just going to, you know, have no standards. And I encourage them to understand the difference between healthy standards and toxic, unrealistic, unattainable expectations and how that's what perfectionism is. So perfectionism can often show up in our behaviors because we definitely want to do things perfectly. But it's also, again, a, a, a thought patterns we have where we have these thoughts that say, I am how well I do something. If it's not perfect, it's a total waste of time. It's a total failure. So we want to see how perfectionism has this very rigid, absolute, black or white thinking that makes it so strict and debilitating. Mm -hmm. And along with that, if, if people are looking at the way they are thinking, that leads to perfectionism. We also know that at the 
core of it, a person with perfectionism suffers from the belief that they are not enough as they are. And that can look very different for people. For some of them, I'm not athletic enough. Others, it's often I'm not smart enough. I'm not interesting enough. I'm not attractive enough. So it then leads to body image issues. I'm not pretty enough. And the idea that I'm not interesting or intelligent enough has made some of my clients share their stories of they're going to attend a social gathering and literally to last minute they're on their phone reading some latest news so that they're you know um, well informed and can show up to this gathering uh, with necessary information to engage in conversation so there's this level of high expectations that again anything less than 100 is a failure inadequacy incompetency and and therefore i'm not enough and one last thing i want to say uh, is that the problem with thinking we're not enough as we are which obviously as we all can tell is is a barrier to self-acceptance it also then makes people think they are not worthy of being lovable. They are not worthy of success. They are not worthy of being on a podcast. So there's all these things that also people make conclusions from that core fear that they are not enough. Mm. I know that this next question might be a little difficult to answer just because it's, I know that it varies different, you know, from person to person, but where would you say this stems from for most people? There are a lot of different causes of it. There really are. Like we mentioned, I think life events play a very big role. And we really need to be curious to what your personal life events may be. Because here's the other thing that happens with this question. It's not that we cannot find the answer to that question. I feel like people sometimes feel like there has to be a very good reason. Mm-hmm. And they tend to... This this happened just earlier this week with, with a client of mine where there's this idea that, well, what I'm going through is not bad as what other people are going through. It's not that tra- dramatic. I'm just being dramatic. Like y- you could sit here, which I know you won't, but you could sit here and say, dude, are you kidding me? You came to United States, you know, and there are so many people who fleeing their countries in worse conditions. What are you complaining about? So I could sit here and stop myself from acknowledging or recognizing what played a role in my perfectionism so again the answers are there I really encourage people to not question what the answers might be like what caused perfectionism in you does not have to again uh, be have to be dramatic or catastrophic or traumatic you just have to look at your personal life events and it, it, it just whatever happened to you whatever that influenced you that again left you feeling that you're not enough as you are, and therefore you have to be better than you are to fit in, to belong, to feel a sense of success or likability. So again, I think there are so many different answers to that question, as long as first and foremost, we're willing to honor our story, we're willing to honor our experiences and not compare to other people's. And then the second thing I would answer that question is really look at people's like inventory, look at your life story. What are the experiences you had? The thing for me, it was, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, go ahead. The thing that you had mentioned before 
the client that was comparing herself to other people, Brene Brown calls that comparative suffering. When we, mm. when we rank ourselves up against other people in two different ways, we do it. We say what your client said is I'm, I'm not, what I'm going through isn't as bad as what, you know, Joe went through. And then the other way that, that we do it is, well, you know, Joe can't possibly understand what I'm going through. And so we will rate our pain up against someone else's pain. But the thing that she says is by doing that, it doesn't make, it doesn't lessen our pain, right? It actually just suppresses it from coming out and it inhibits us from being able to express it and let it out. And then it just, it, it, you know, gets pushed down further and further. So it's still there. It really is. Exactly. So there are so many different answers to why any any one person may have perfectionism. It's again, I think the first thing everyone should do is really honor their stories, validate what was painful for them and not compare it to anybody else's painful stories. Then you can start to identify what might have played a role. Um, I Again, I like to start with from childhood. Definitely parent-child relationship does play a role but it's not a fact. You just want to look at that parent-child relationship. And yes, if you have demanding parents, if you have parents who have perfectionism themselves, they model perfectionism to you. And another thing that happens for, 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 for most adults is if your parents struggled when you were a kid, whether they were dealing with um, unemployment or they were immigrants so they were really struggling to settle in what happens to us is that as an adult we feel a sense of pressure to pay back to our parents for their sacrifices so it's not good enough that I went to college I have to go to the best one to make sure my parents suffering was worthwhile mm. so again we're not looking for like oh my parents were horrible they were so mean to me that's why I have perfectionism no you can have the kindest hard you know, very hardworking parents. And that again, can leave you with this guilt that they suffered so much. They, they had two jobs, they worked on the weekend. So my, my siblings and I had, you know, a comfortable life. Now I have to be better than my peers so that my parents' sacrifices were worthwhile. So there's all sorts of reasons that could lead to perfectionism. Yeah. There's that sense of obligation that you feel like you owe it to them. Yes. And the other thing that happens in family systems that you might want to look at is if there's any mental health issues in the family system. So if there's addiction in the family, so let's say one of the parents had addiction or your teen sibling had addiction, your teen sibling has autism or eating disorder. So any type of mental health challenge in the family can pressure the person to to, to, again, make up or pressure the person to kind of cover up. Like if my sibling has a mental health issue that interferes with them going to college, then I can feel the pressure. Well, I have to go to a really good college and I have to make sure I get great, great, great for my parents to be really proud of me because my sibling won't, won't have that experience and my parents are only have me to, to go to college. So those kinds of like stories that we make up in our heads to that that ultimately leads us to that perfectionism path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I'm wondering if you can speak to what are some of the symptoms 
of perfectionism, when people are are going through these things, all these scenarios you just described, what are some of the symptoms that come from that? So one of the things I love to explain about perfectionism, like what I was just saying about the causes and how there could be so many different ones depending on every person's life. Same is true when it comes to signs and symptoms of perfectionism. I believe that there are so many different ways perfectionism can show up in a person's life. For example, let's start with the classic portfolio or classic profile of perfectionist who is a go-getter, high overachiever, high-functioning person who has planned the next 90 days of their calendar and they are always, you know, they're the first one that wake up in their family, they're the last one to go to bed, they're always like working, 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 and they are those classic go-getters, leaders, and detail-oriented people. Yes, that's your one version of perfectionism. But I also want people to understand that there's a completely different version of perfectionism that could go unnoticed, which is literally the opposite of that, where a person is very indecisive, procrastinates, tends to follow other people's leads and shies away from taking initiative, shies away from any leadership role. And what happens is that both of these people suffer from perfectionism because they share a core belief, which is, I have to do things perfectly. What's interesting is that that core belief that I have to do things perfectly can make one person go 110, right? Give things 110, be a leader, overachiever, detail-oriented, while another person with their completely different kind of temperament can feel very overwhelmed by that and freeze and get paralyzed by that perfectionism that they procrastinate. They have a really hard time getting things started and they tend to, again, follow other people's leads or be indecisive. So what we really want to understand is what are the things that you're going through right now that are hard on you? Like, what would you like to change about yourself? Now we get to see some of the signs and symptoms of perfectionism because people will say, I am burnt out. I have too much on my schedule. I really like to have more balance in my life. So now I know what kind of, you know, uh, traits this person has versus another person say, gosh, I really like to change my procrastination. Like I like to be, you know, like if I say I'm going to get these two things done today, I like to get it done by the end of the day. That's what I would like to change about myself. So now I got to see the symptoms that the person is really finding challenging. But then I will ask questions that often comes down to that core belief with perfectionism. What Because what happens is the belief is if it's not going to be perfect, why bother? That's why they keep delaying things or that's why they don't, they start something and they stop midway. Because as soon as they can see themselves having a hard time, that it's, again, not going perfectly. And it's kind of interesting. I see with my six-year-old daughter. Um, so, And I say that meaning that we have it since childhood, this tendency that if it's not how I envisioned it, I'm really upset with myself and I'm really like have the strong urge to give up. And it's about tolerating that it's okay that it didn't work out the way I wanted it to. And it's still, again, did I enjoy coloring? Can I finish what I started? So we want to get to that finish line. So those are a few of the things that I would like people to understand that there are so many different ways perfectionism show up. Obviously, some of the symptoms are I, I mentioned. Yeah, well, in person A and person B, what I hear, both have anxiety. 
right? They're both manifesting, the anxiety is manifesting itself in a different way. And I heard this term a while ago, which is, it's not in the DSM, high functioning anxiety. And that is person A, right? Very type A, rigid, it go-getter, doesn't ever sit down, just keeps going no matter what. But then there's that other type of anxiety, which may look like depression, but it's not. It's just very debilitating, right? You feel so overwhelmed and anxious as you were describing with the things that you have to do or just thinking about it keeps you paralyzed in that and in, in never moving forward or to, it feels too challenging to take those steps forward, which is procrastination as you described, right? And all of that, no matter which side you're on, lead to feeling like a failure, right? Person A never feels like they're doing enough. And person B is like, I'm not doing enough. And it it leads to this feeling of failure. Yes, absolutely. I, I love the way you, yes, that, that's exactly it. And this is why we want to understand that all these different versions of perfectionism all have a shared core problem which is how I am how well I do something and and it's never good enough and ultimately I'm I'm not enough I'm a I'm a failure I'm I am not lovable and it's really just like you said person a and b are just a kind of consequences of the problem you know that's just a representation of what the core problem is and I love talking about different versions of perfectionism because that's one of the things that comes up in therapy people say to me I can't be a perfectionist. Like my house is a mess. I'm so disorganized. I always forget things. And, and of course, other times when a person has that more uh, person A kind of perfectionism, the high achieving the problem we run into is this idea that, well, if I challenge my perfectionism, I'm just going to be mediocre. I'm not going to achieve anything. I'm just going to be lazy. So there's that all or nothing thinking. Like if I'm not perfect, I'm a complete, you know, um, unmotivated and um, lost person. And that's obviously not true. One more other thing I would also like to maybe add to how perfectionism show up is in relationships. That's another thing that I've found to be such a helpful conversation is perfectionism and relationship leads to people pleasing and codependency. Because well, because of many things. And one of them is this false idea that if I have a perfect relationship, I will feel loved. If I have the perfect relationship, I will be happy. And then what, what is a perfect relationship? I think nine out of 10 times, we would say one that doesn't fight. One that's always getting along, right? One that is always in sync. So what do we do in order to make sure the relationship never has any arguments, never has any hiccups, we become overly accommodating. I will never tell you what I want. I'll just go along with what you want. So there's no friction because if there's no friction, I can prove to myself I have the perfect relationship. Mm -hmm. So we end up having a lot of people pleasing, again, putting other people's needs before yours, avoiding confrontation not asserting your needs, not setting boundaries, not asking for help, and, and also not delegating, not being able to say, I can't do that for you today. 
Mm-hmm. Well, the thing about pleasing that I always say to people, and I think this goes along with perfectionism too, with people pleasing though, it's really not, we think we're, we're engaging in that to help other people, to make us feel good, but really it's for ourselves, right? It's to make us feel good. It's to make us not feel like a failure. It's to attempt to make other people happy because if they're not happy, then that's a reflection of me and my failures and I'm not good enough. And so I'm going to do all these things to try to control the situation, to try to please these people. So I don't feel like I'm a failure. Mm -hmm. So we have a hard time tolerating other people's unhappy emotions because we want them to be happy 24 seven. Here's the other thing that happens with perfectionism that might be hard to hear, which is that often perfectionists are also very irritable people because we have zero tolerance for things being imperfect. So anytime there's a issue, I can really react. Obviously I work on this, but I have to acknowledge that oftentimes my perfectionism can make me overly critical of my partner of things, of people around me. Um, and I can complain a lot. So perfectionists tend to complain because things are just, there's always a problem. You know, there's always like, you know, I know it's, there's all these kinds of humor about, you know, our moms, whether again, it's your Middle Eastern mom or your, you know, Hispanic mom or your Jewish mom, because it's like all, always the moms. Like, oh, my mom, you know, she she we take her to a restaurant and she finds something that's not good with the food. Oh, it's missing the salt. It's missing this. It's missing that. And it's funny, true. But that's that's really one version of perfectionism is that they find something that's wrong with every dish that they either eat or cook. And every little thing, there's something to complain about. So there's always also perfectionism in relationship can create a lot of marital conflict because you always find something to be dissatisfied with the other person. Well, I'm, I'm laughing because I am so person A that you described and I, over the years, it's, and as I've gotten older and done work on myself, it's not as rigid as it used to be, but I do still see these characteristics show up, right? Like I do get irritable. I do have family members say, you can be so black and white or judgmental. And it's like, I'm not being those things, but it comes across that way because of my attitudes or the need to have it be or look a certain way, right? And I can recognize that, but it does show up in sometimes you don't even know that it's coming out that way, right? It's so embedded when you are a perfectionist or you're anxious, it is so embedded in the fibers of your being that it this like these automated things that happen, right? You you complain about it without even realizing that you're complaining. Yes. Realizing that you're complaining. You are irritable without realizing that you're even irritable, right? Or you're not sure like, why am I in such a bad mood? Well, let's look at what happened today, the conversations you had, what went wrong in your day, your perspective of things. And it's just, so I'm over here laughing because I am totally that person. I am a high functioning, anxious person, but there's things that and we're going to get to this in a second, there's things that I've done along the way to keep that at bay, to manage it, to not let it manifest into other areas of my life. Or if it does, I can repair it. And I think that's the most important part too, is 
when you use the word recovering, right, or you're in recovery from something, it's not about it looking a certain way. It's not about this destination. It's about an ongoing process and practice that an awareness that you have to be vigilant of. It is absolutely. And I think there's so much surrendering in that knowing that it's always a work in progress. It really is. And it's like you were saying earlier that you can also do your push-up is maintenance. And I hope, look, there. I, I, I want to maybe honor that someday some of those maintenance can feel like, oh, another day I have to journal. Mm-hmm. Oh, another yeah. day I have to write my gratitude list. You know, and I get <laughs> it. I get it. Like, we don't always feel like it. Um, and so I do, I do recognize that some of those works, some days can feel like a chore and other days it can feel so uplifting and it can be so grounding to give ourselves that self-love, that pause, that compassion that, yeah, my morning is not going well. It's not going as I wished. Um, I'm running behind, uh, and I'm stuck in traffic and it's that grace like genuinely, I was thinking about my word for the year. I don't know if you have talked talked about this with your audience, but there's this idea of, you know, we pick a word for the year. And I really love this. I think it's it's a good replacement from a resolution um, because it's not a goal we have to achieve. It's more like a, a word you choose to guide you and ground you throughout the year. And it dawned on me just a few days ago that I think the word for me this year is going to be grace because I really want to give myself and other people more grace when things don't go as we planned. Mm -hmm. I love that because that word I use very often. And it's something that I kind of joked to someone the other day that I, because she was like, you're always just doing more, doing more. And I was like, to you, it might look like that, but my internal world I literally feel like I was beaten into submission to find grace and compassion for myself. Like I kept trying to fight the fight, right? I kept trying to achieve more, do more, be more, but my life circumstances right now do not allow for that, even though mentally and physically I kept trying to control it and be perfect at it. It, the, the universe or higher power, whatever you believe in for me, the universe, it's like, no, this is what you're going to learn. Like, it didn't matter how much I tried to control it myself. This was the plan. And so grace was something I had to learn because I didn't have any more energy to keep fighting the fight. And I also didn't have the energy to keep feeling that way either, like a failure, letting myself down, not good enough, comparing myself to, to others. So grace and compassion really have entered my life in the last few years. And I'm continuing that this year too. I think that there's some years that we are very goal-driven, right? Like I'm going to accomplish A, B, and C this year. I want to. But then there's those years where it's an internal goal, right? Like I, what you're saying, I want to learn compassion for myself. I want to learn grace or have that for myself. I want to find that internal rhythm or balance. It doesn't always have to be these external accomplishments, Yes, and it's a great reminder that our internal space is as important as the external space we work on 
And at times, our external space is dependent on how well we take care of our internal space. Mm -hmm. So I think there's so much value. And that goes back to maybe cultural messages we have received that feeds into that perfectionism. We are told, you know, what did you get? You know, what was your grade from a test? Um, and, and and I've heard this, you know, in, in Instagrams, you know, from other people, this idea of like, we need to stop asking kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? And we need to ask them, like, will you be happy when you grow up? Like, so that their goals are not some external roles. Their mm -hmm. goals are not some external status and external um, grades. And there are more internal goals that we 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 pay attention to that we value because it's important yeah absolutely and we really do identify through our roles but those can become rigid and driven by perfectionism which then lead to all these things that we've talked about today you know yeah. not feeling good enough feeling like a failure unworthy not feeling like we fit in so i am i am wondering what what are some steps, like maybe three steps that are simple that someone could take if they wanted to start tackling this, this whole thing of perfectionism? Let's start with maybe where we just left, which is those external goals. I would like people to get something off their to-do list because that's inevitably part of perfectionism is always doing more. So I really like people to look at what their to-do list is today and intentionally in leave some things incomplete or delegate. So that would be the first thing you would have to do because I think that's something you would have to do every day. And the next thing you would have to do every day is also giving yourself more compassion. I cannot imagine working through my perfectionism and I'll be, like you said, keeping it at bay without self-compassion. It's it's fundamental the way we talk to ourselves. It's just foundational that I have a loving, understanding, forgiving inner dialogue. So the second thing I really like to have people remember is self-compassion. And along with that self-compassion, I would have them really look at their boundaries. Speaking of relationships is, and, and the boundaries actually so beautiful and seriously like my husband jokes with me all the time that boundaries is my favorite word and, <laughs> and you're like of you course know, it is I'm a psychologist I know and he's like you're always talking about boundaries because I also think that there are boundaries with time right you can set boundaries with your tasks you can set boundaries with time you can set boundaries with people so I would like to think about like how some of the boundaries those parameters you want to set with yourself that you have it's 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 just a nicer place to live in like the way that you have your life structure it just feels like a better place to live in based on those boundaries that you set so those are the three things i would leave with people oh those are beautiful those are so simple not simple but simple enough that <laughs> yeah, it's a yeah. good place to start and it's going to feel difficult to try to put those into practice and it might not always feel like compassion, but it is right. Like, even if you don't believe in what you're saying, if you're like, okay, it's okay. It's okay. I'm going to, it's okay that I didn't get this done. You might not be okay with that, but just practicing and forcing yourself to do that in time 
it does. It does start to feel more loving and compassionate towards yourself. So if people want to start taking these next steps and working on this area, how can they get in touch with you? I would love to get connected with people on Instagram. That's where I'm most active. And the other thing that I would love to share with with your audience, I created a free mini course. It's an email course they will get from me if they're interested that walks them through six steps to overcoming perfectionism. So there's also that resource um, I would love to share with everyone that would be really helpful. And just remember, don't be perfect at it, right? (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Do it imperfectly. Yeah, do it imperfectly. I love that. No, that's that's awesome. Um, so definitely everyone check that out because that's a, a free tool, right? You can't go wrong yes. with free. And it's yes. a great way to just start and see if it's something for you, if this work is something for you. Exactly. No strings attached. They can always delete the emails if they don't find it helpful. But I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty confident that they're going to like it. You're going to save it. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate all your knowledge and wisdom on this topic. I know that so many people out there are struggling with this or don't even recognize that's what's happening and they feel frustrated by it. So hopefully this will just give people a little more insight into their internal world and an understanding of what is going on and how I can help myself start taking steps forward um, towards freedom. Thank you so much for having me here. And yes, I hope this conversation was thought-provoking for people for when it comes to perfectionism. Yeah, thank you.